Good afternoon and welcome to No Agenda for possibly the first and quite possibly the last time. Uh, I am your host, uh, Mark Anthony. Um, basic idea of today is just a chat. Um, no, no great, as the, the name of the show suggests, no agenda. So there's no script, no agenda, no specific topics uh, up for grabs. But if anyone's got any comments, post them in the uh, comment section below and we'll address them as we go along. Um, just while we're waiting for a few more people to join, it occurred to me this morning um, that two years ago today, to this very day, I was actually in Japan as part of the European Demolition Association study tour to Japan. Uh, I was there as a guest of, of uh, Caterpillar. In actual fact, this time, two years ago, I was actually on top of a mountain in Kobe, which was very nice indeed. Um, spent a couple of days there um, and then took the bullet train down to uh, Tokyo for a, a continuation of the event uh, before eventually uh, coming back home again. Um, good afternoon, Nick. Good to see you here. Um, yeah, so... Cut a long story short, the, the, the trip to Japan was, as I say, a European Demolition Association uh, study tour. And the idea was to get a, a handle on exactly how Japanese demolition contractors go about their business and how that might differ from how UK demolition or European demolition contractors go about their business. Um, I will tell you now, um, I did, as a result of the trip, I actually wrote a book called The Japanese Way. Um, if you bear with me one second, uh, I will get my email address going across the bottom of the screen there. Uh, if anyone would like a copy of that book, an electronic copy of that book, then just hit that um, email address, send a, a message that just says Japan or something, and I'll send you a copy free of charge uh, by return. Uh, there was a lot I learned about um, Japanese demolition while I was there. Um, some very strange things. One of the, the, the most outstanding things was all of the um, the sites lined in steel plate. Uh, and as a result, all of the tracks are exceptionally clean. Not entirely sure why that would be the case. Um, it was like they'd thought it through and everyone had just agreed to do it. Um, yeah, Nick, if ever you do get a chance to uh, to get over to uh, to Japan, I really would recommend it. It's a, a remarkable place. I'll come back to the demolition in a second. <clears throat> One of the things that, that really stuck with me i i i joined the uh, the study tour about halfway through so i arrived uh, from the uk on my own uh, got to kobe got the bus to the hotel um and you know was wide awake because i'd slept most of the time on on the plane so i took myself off for a walk got to a set of traffic lights traffic lights changed to stop the traffic and to allow pedestrians to walk across and there was maybe 20 or 30 people crossing the road and, and as the light said that they could cross all of them, and I mean all of them, did this. So I, having seen this, I, I thought maybe they were all together. Maybe they were from a school or a college, and that was how they crossed the road, and, and that was just an understanding. A couple of days later, I was in one of the Caterpillar factories. Uh, first time I ever got to see the Cat 340 straight boom excavator up close. Um, and we were getting a guided tour of the factory, and sure enough, walking through the factory itself where the excavators were made, we came to a junction, and our guide stopped us. At which point I started to twig that this was probably a bit more of a cultural thing. And then the, 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 the most incredible example of it, I, I went out for dinner in uh, Tokyo um, on one of the last nights I was there. And Tokyo, not surprisingly, I'm sure you've seen it on movies, on, on the news, incredibly busy busy place, you know, huge 
sort of six lanes going through the center of um, of Tokyo. So when you cross the road, obviously you're crossing out of crossing. And lo and behold, you know, there were three, maybe 400 people all crossing the road at the traffic lights and they all did the left, right and straight ahead. Very, very odd cultural thing. Um, yeah, going back to the demolition, uh, one of the things that, that really stood out for me, um, we've, we were lucky enough to visit the what at the time was Japan's biggest demolition project, which was actually taking down um, a, a former Caterpillar factory where they used to build some of the small track dozers um built back in the 60s and it was you know it was past its sell by date so they were taking it down there's about 80 caterpillar machines actually working there um all of the attachments are huge absolutely huge i mean the widest opening jaws you've ever seen in your life um and that was explained because you know obviously japan is on uh several fault lines they get a lot of earthquakes so all of their buildings are built to withstand earthquakes and as a result the foundations are massive hence the reason for the super wide opening jaws and a lot of the concrete pulverizers there have um an actual built-in magnet so whereas here in in the uk and, and across europe we tend to break up concrete and then go back with a magnet and separate out rebar and, and and do the segregation that way in japan it's done on an ongoing basis so people will actually you know they'll, they'll munch up a piece of and they'll, they'll so the concrete and the, the rebar is going in two different directions all the time as i say a, a completely different approach um not sure if you've ever if you've ever seen on uh, YouTube. There is a very famous um, bit of video footage of a Japanese tower block being jacked down. Um, literally, it's, it's we, we refer here obviously to top down construction or, or top down demolition rather. This was more a bottom down. So the, the the building just gradually gets lower and lower and lower. Very famous bit of footage. Well, uh, on the final proper day of our trip to Japan, we actually got to meet the uh, the people, the team behind that project. And it turns out that not all was exactly as it seems. They did do that job, they, you know, as as described, that's exactly how they did it. They, they hydraulically jacked down a tower block. Um, but it was the head office of the demolition company, which is actually a construction company with a demolition arm, and they've only ever done it once. It's not like it's a, a, a proven method that they are now extolling across the whole of Japan and, and possibly across the world. It's something they've done once um, just to prove that they could, really. Um, so as I say, there's there's lots more of that. Um, let me just flick this up again. As I say, I I did write a book. It's one of, the, one of those occasions where, excuse me, I'm just going to take a sip of tea. It's one of those occasions where I actually came back from a from an overseas trip feeling just completely inspired, um, partly by the country, partly by what I'd seen, but also by the people there. Um, just as I say, I, I expected Japan to be very culturally different than than here, and everything that I saw proved that. Uh, to give you another example, I checked into this ho to the first hotel in, in Kobe, um, got my room key, got into a, an elevator, um, and a, a, a young lady, uh, air hostess uniform, got in beside me and, and, and bowed, and, and I'd, you know, I'd read up enough so I knew to bow back and everything else. So she got to her floor before I got to my floor. As the, the doors of the elevator opened, she stepped out, she turned around, and she bowed once again. It was almost like a thank you for being in the lift with me. I, all these tiny, tiny examples of, of just just the most culturally different place I've ever been. So, as I say, that book is there. If anyone would like a copy, 
just send me an email um, and just market Japan and I will send you a, a copy of that as well. Um, while I was there, um, I, I had a, a spare day at the beginning of the trip and I had another spare day at the end of the trip. Um, and one of the things that I, I did do was take myself off up a, a mountain, as, as you do. Um, when I arrived at the Kobe Hotel, uh, I could see that there was a mountain, there was a cable car. So once I put my bags down and, and had a bit of a freshen up, I uh, went to reception and said, you know, where do I find the cable car? And they looked at me like I was mental because the cable car was actually attached to the hotel so i didn't have to go anywhere at all um so i went and queued up for uh the cable car and i i stand five foot ten on a good day if i'm if i'm standing very very erect in my in my thickest socks i'm five foot ten um queuing for the cable car i was the tallest person in the queue by a good six inches or more um uh yeah I, and it was you know, there, there were men and women all, all japanese in the queue i was the only uh, westerner in the queue but i was i was the tallest first time i've ever been the tallest anywhere um, which was remarkable uh equally remarkable was the fact that they uh they have umbrellas for i say for hire they weren't for hire they were actually for free rental so if you want a um an umbrella to take with you up the mountain it was a perfectly sunny day and the japanese do love to pr protect themselves from the sun so there were lots of umbrellas so all the japanese were carrying umbrellas whereas i was i was funny enough i was actually wearing this very hat um I, that's a, a pure coincidence but i do remember wearing this very hat just to keep the sun off the uh, the thinning pate um and yeah we, we had a, a lovely time walking down I, I as i say took the cable car up the mountain and then took uh, a long walk down the reason i mentioned that is one of the reasons that um yeah, good comment nick yeah you would you, you would be probably above average height in height in in japan so yeah you you it'd be a first for you as much as it was for me um so yeah while i was walking down the mountain i as one does i turned on my iphone and i started speaking into the microphone um and i recorded a podcast and i started the podcast walking down a mountain the name of which i've completely forgotten um you know looking at the local wildlife and the caterpillars strong uh, suspended from the trees waterfalls and wild birds and all this kind of thing and then i carried it on literally throughout the trip uh, even right the way I, I actually recorded a bit of a podcast um sat on the bullet train um going from uh, kobe down to tokyo and and again you know there there's another difference when you're given a ticket to the bullet train um it's not just your seat number but it actually gives you um details of where on the platform you are to stand and when you stand at that spot and the bullet train arrives the door opens literally right in front of you you don't have to move and your seat is just there because the Japanese have thought that through. They don't just allocate you a seat, they allocate you a door and they allocate you a place on the platform and all three parts match up. This bit didn't happen to me, but it happened to a former colleague of mine, uh, sadly no longer with us. He went to, the, to Japan probably 20 years ago and he actually quizzed. Uh, they would, I think they were, I know their final destination was um, was Tokyo. I can't remember where they were changing trains, but the uh, the guide had allowed about three minutes to go from one train to another. And my colleague said, three minutes isn't very much. What if the train's late? Uh, and and I, my colleague got the same look that I got when I asked where the cable car was. Well, you know, this is Japan. 
trains are not late. That's just not how we do things. So as I say, I, I'm, I'm only mentioning Japan purely because that's where I was uh, two years ago. You can get the podcast over at Demolition News Radio, and I will run the uh, the podcast thing in a minute. But as I say, if you want a copy of the book, The Japanese Way, uh, it's predominantly about demolition and uh, and the trip, but there is a bit of sort of cultural stuff in there and a bit of sightseeing if that's kind of your thing. Uh, as I say, the, uh, the podcast is called uh, A Japanese Adventure, and you can find it right here. Uh, not sure if you were around earlier in the week, but um, we, we received an email on, I think it was Wednesday night, um, from a company called Feedspot, who have been doing a survey, a global survey of uh, podcasts and, and, in particular, industrial podcasts. Um, and the, pod, the uh, email read that we had been selected in the top five um, demolition podcasts in the world, and here was a link to find out more details. So... Being an egotist uh, and being quite surprised because I, I had no idea that the survey was going on, I thought I'd better go and check it out. Well, it turns out that we weren't just in the top five. We were number one, the number one demolition podcast in the world. There are some that would take pride in that. I, I'm one of them. Uh, but in truth, I don't suppose there are too many. I, I'm aware of of one that the, uh, the National Demolition Association in the States uh, does. Um, I, I, I tend to pick that one up when I'm, I'm taking long journeys, which is how I do most of my podcasts. Uh, I do I do make an exception uh, for the podcast done by Peter Haddock. I tend to listen to that as it lands because it's always uh, fascinating because he gets access to some some very very good people. Um, but yeah, I tend to listen to other podcasts while I'm walking the dog or taking a long journey. So I don't catch up on the uh, the NDA podcast very often. Uh, that's the only other demolition one I'm aware of. So uh, yes, I am number one among two that I'm aware of, but I'll take that all day long. Uh, I did just mention Peter Haddock's podcast, just as a quick reminder. If you'd like the future of the construction sector beamed directly into your ears, simply search for Content with Media on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. Your ears will thank you. Yeah, um, Peter's podcast, as I say, you can find it on iTunes and on Spotify, um, or you can go straight to straight to uh, Google and just type in Content with Media. Um, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of episodes there and there's some very very good content there uh if that's the kind of thing you're into um if you've been watching um our breakfast show um we are up to 62 episodes now um so we literally haven't missed a day uh, in 62 work days so uh it's gone on a lot longer than i really expected it to uh, but you will know that i've been mentioning the fact that we've got two new sponsors coming on board um one of them is still working on their ad as we speak that one will be coming to fruition very very soon um but we've already got the uh the ad for the first of those sponsors now i've agreed with them that it, it will go in the show on monday would you like a sneak preview would you like this is a this is a world exclusive you didn't come here for world exclusive i know uh, but this is a world exclusive this is our new sponsor our first new sponsor on the breakfast show
and delighted to have them on board. Obviously, you know, I need to pay the mortgage, I need to feed the family and keep a roof over our heads. So uh, I'm quite happy to take money off of anyone. But it's always a, a refreshing thing to take money off of people that have a product that you actually believe in. Um, I've, I've spoken to FOSS and I've spoken about FOSS on a fair few occasions now. Uh, obviously, they do uh, some very fancy lighting systems. Um, They've got a new product coming. Um, watch this space. I think it may even drop on Monday. Um, they're keeping it very close to their chest, but it, I've, I've had a very quick sneak preview, and it, it does look like a proper game changer, actually. So uh, keep an eye out for that one. But as I say, yeah, FOSS coming on board is our first sponsor. I'm still keeping the other one under wraps because it's still a, maybe a week or so away. Um, but it will be nice, uh, as I say, 62 episodes in for the Breakfast Show to start to earn its keep. The biggest thing from my point of view is the fact that it will allow us to invest um obviously i can give my my time free of charge i'm sat in front of a computer anyway so that's no great shakes uh it is scripted so i did spend quite a bit of time doing that and doing the research but that i don't worry about that too much but it's it's things like coming up with video transitions and you know making making sure that the uh, the audio and the video equipment is up to date and i could probably do with a new computer although i'm fighting it because it's just another system to learn. So, uh, yeah, it, as I say, it's it's really a case of, of reinvesting. Um, and, and that's one of the things that's been really refreshing from uh, FOSS and from our other incoming um, sponsor is the fact that they've recognised that we're trying to do something very, very different by uh, broadcasting the news rather than writing the news um, and interacting and engaging with, with um, you people that are out there watching this right now. Uh, and they've chosen to, to support it. Uh, there wasn't any great selling involved in it. They just saw what we were doing, liked what we were doing, and said they wanted to be part of it. Um, so that's a, a real refreshing thing from, from my point of view. Um, I, I honestly believe that what we're doing, um, embracing video and broadcasting rather than writing, or broadcasting as well as writing, actually, uh, is the way forward. I think that will be the, the, the future of business-to-business business, uh, news delivery um, because everyone's got a smartphone these days. Just to, to give you a very quick backstory, and I, I will talk about some of the industry stuff in a second because we're nearly 20 minutes in now. Um, but one of the reasons that we, we started to embrace video, I was on a, a site probably three years ago now, um, and in typical fashion, I arrived just as everyone was about to break for lunch. So, you know, took some photographs, everyone went off to lunch and, and I went to join them in the, uh, in the canteen or the, you know, the, the unit that they set aside as a canteen. Um, and a few of the guys were sat around having a sandwich and then they all huddled around each other. Um, and they were obviously watching a video. Um, so I strolled over to have a look at what the video was and it was one of ours, uh, which was kind of nice, but it also, it also reminded me the fact that, you know, if you're in demolition, you're very much in demolition. Um, and even when you stop work to have a bite to eat or a mid-morning cup of tea, chances are you're in some way involved in demolition, which is why we, we chose to do the breakfast show. It's also why we do it at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, basically to try and coincide with um, the site break or the mid-morning site break uh, that most uh, sites here in the UK tend to uh, to abide by and it's gone down very well i mean we're, we're literally thousands of views every every single episode um not all of them live in fact very few of them live um we get a couple of hundred people watching live maybe five or six hundred um but then we get a couple of thousand people that watch but they're watching religiously um we get the same people coming back and commenting and to the point where if if we're running late or something goes wrong we get emails about it um so people are actually starting to build the breakfast show into their their regular schedule um 
just one other thing before I get onto the industry stuff. Um, I, I I mentioned a while back the fact that we've been working on a another new show, uh, yet another new show called uh, Demolition World, in which kind of long story short, I've compiled a list of twelve standard questions that I'm going to ask demolition contractors around the world english-speaking demolition contractors uh, around the world the exact same questions just to get their take on you know various things that relate to the industry and and how they deal with them locally and that kind of thing um the original idea was to get um an australian an american and a canadian in the can first all of those for one reason or another another have been delayed uh, but we've actually got the first one recorded now uh, and it's featuring a south african demolition company um I've got a bit more filming to do at my end just to make it, it look as, as sexy as we possibly can. Uh, and I'll be doing that next week. So the first episode of Demolition World is imminent. Uh, we'll, we will keep you posted on that. Um, and what just what I think Nick is probably still in the uh, in the chat. One of the reasons I'm sitting on it for a few more days, uh, I just figured that people are probably tired of looking at this backdrop, you know, with my, let me think, my crown up there and my JCB thing there and my leap hair stuff. It's really hard when you're, you're using the wrong hand. Uh, yeah, there's there's my Oscar and my Ultravox album, and up there is a leap hair model. Uh, yeah, I think people are probably bored with looking at that, so uh, my plan is to film this elsewhere, um, and I'm fortunate enough um um is it jet yes it actually is jet funnily enough um we've we spoke to them a good while ago actually i, I and i do feel very very guilty about not bringing the uh the show to fruition quite yet but as i say part of the reason was i i want to make it look different um and i'm lucky enough i'm going up to jcb on i think it's thursday and friday of next week um and i'm actually staying um uh, yeah get out and about yeah it, it does make a nice change um so yes the, the, the plan is I'm, I'm actually going to the uh, jcb golf and country club and staying in one of their um i can't remember what they call them um it's not an apartment it's kind of a villa but they're very modern uh very i've stayed in one before and they're very very nice to look at um very comfortable and, and you know at, they're, they're everything you'd expect from jcb basically so the plan basically is to take the camera gear up with us and, and probably take the fancy lights as well um so that we can make that look as, as sexy as possible and, and just ring the changes on that episode as well um also got another big interview coming with um, the team at Rye Demolition. That one's in the can, but it just needs editing now. So uh, plenty more to come on that. Um, Industry-wise, let's let's talk about a bit of that. Um, if you were if you've seen Facebook today, you'll know that the weekend wrap uh, show came out today, and just co coincidentally, for the way that, that I tend to put these things together, um, this week we saw um, three three new um, mini excavators from Myanmar, two new wheel loaders from the good folks at Dusan, and one giant leap for the hydrogen use in construction with JCB. Um, kind of drawing back the curtain on their hydrogen plans and the fact that they've got a hydrogen engine division working on that as we speak. Um, fascinating time, and, and to be honest, I think probably the, the highlight of my week this, this past week was um, discussing all of that with a couple of um, real industry big hitters. We were lucky enough, uh, we being myself and uh, Peter Haddock, we got a couple of real industry big hitters, um, some of the biggest thought leaders in the industry on our show on, I think that was Wednesday night. 
probably Wednesday night. Um, basically, the, the, the question that we raised in that was where is the or who is the Tesla of the construction equipment industry? We've obviously seen Tesla come along and, as the saying goes, eat the lunch of the established car makers who were dragging their heels on adopting electric power and and, and basically sticking with the standard format of how they make cars, how they sell cars, how they look after cars. And Tesla came along when nobody was looking and, as I say, stole their lunch from out under their nose. The door is open. Um, the circumstances that allowed them to do that, i.e. the emissions regulations, electrification and the use of technology, Tesla were quicker to embrace all of that than some of the established car makers, and hence the reason that they've they've been able to carve themselves a a fairly small but a growing part of the car market. Um, and I, I'm fairly sure I read recently that Tesla is now the most valuable um, car company in the world. Um, which, if you think they've only been in existence for about a decade, that is quite an astonishing achievement. Now, obviously, they're they're not selling as many cars as you know, the Hondas and the Fords and people like that. But I think the, the valuation that's been put on the company is looking forward at what they are likely to achieve. The same rules, the same set of circumstances apply right here in the uh, field of construction equipment. We're talking about a multi-billion pound global industry. Um, my personal feeling is I wouldn't say that we're set in our ways, but I think a lot of the development that's taken place in the past decade has been forced upon us by legislation. So stage three, stage four, stage five um, engine regulations, which we've had to embrace. And I think to a degree, certainly with stage three, I, I got the impression that that stymied some uh, R&D. So everyone was so focused on making sure their engines were just a bit cleaner that they were effectively required to stop work on on some of the cleverer concepts and, and that kind of thing. All of that opens the way for either a, a newcomer or for one of the established makers to take a giant leap forward. Um, when I look at it personally, and I, I tend to look at these things, I, obviously I'm an outsider looking in with these things, um, there are certain innovators out there that I think stand out. Um, I think to a degree, one of the biggest innovators, although they are at the compact end, Wacker Neusen. I think Wacker Neusen are doing some incredible work um, with electrification and the way that they are um, building machines. I mean, things like sort of self-leveling uh, mini excavators. They're thinking outside the box. They're doing some very, very clever things. Mechalac with their um, swing loaders. We, we, uh, Nick and I were with uh, Mechalac fairly recently. And, and some of their machines, it looks a bit weird and it looks a bit wonderful, but they are... They are thinking outside the box. Whether those two are big enough to actually revolutionise the business, I very much doubt. But there are others. Um, I, I make no bones about the fact that I'm a, a huge fan of uh, Liebherr. I think Liebherr do some incredible things. Um, I think JCB, by uh, embracing first electric, and, and obviously they're now pursuing hydrogen to go alongside with that, I think they are pushing probably probably pushing innovation harder than at any time in their proud 75-year history. Um, and personally, I think the one that is, is probably pushing hardest on, on the innovation front is probably Volvo. Um, it seems like every passing day, Volvo come up with some new innovation or other. Um, Peter, my, my co-host, co-conspirator and co-founder of the Construction Collective with Nick, um, 
has been lucky enough to work alongside the uh, the people at Volvo and at SMTGB here. Um, and one of the things that he was discussing on our show on Wednesday was their autonomous haulers. And not only have they rethought the idea of um, dump trucks to take away the operator and subsequently take away the cab in which the operator would normally sit, they've rethought the way that material is is moved when you look at the big autonomous trucks that the likes of caterpillar are, are producing um very very successfully um they are huge 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 you know 300 ton payload and and beyond what volvo are doing is lots of smaller haulers smaller smaller haulers volvo if you're watching feel free to use that in your advertising smaller haulers um they're they're basically and, and peter i think described this probably better than I could, uh, he said that these are, uh, they, they work like workarounds. So it's not just one big animal doing all the work. There are dozens and possibly even hundreds of, of animals. Um, and when you think about that from the fact that they're electric, so, you know, you can take some out and charge them. The others will carry the carry the load. If you think about repair and maintenance, so you can take one or two or more out of the fleet, but the fleet will continue. And it just it it as I say, I'm 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 blown away by some of the things that Volvo are doing. Um, I think they're a very very forward thinking company. Um, they are very very much on the uh, the drive for electric as well. And as we reported this week as well, they've got uh, their first hydrogen fuel test cell. Um, so they are putting their toes in the hydrogen water as well. So we're very interested to see what that, that all throws up. And I mentioned earlier the, the fact that um, I was inspired by my trip to Japan to come back and write a book. Haven't got quite that carried away this time, but uh, as a result of our discussion with uh, Alan Berg and Carl Gustav Goranson on Wednesday night, uh, I actually sat down here on Thursday morning and just blitzed a long form article, um, which is currently sat on Medium as we speak. Um, I tell you what. Um, I, I'm just talk amongst yourselves. I'm I'm throwing open another screen, uh, trying to look at you, look you in the eye while I'm doing something completely different. Um, let's have a look. Can I get that? Um, I'm just trying to grab the um, the link for that. If I can, um, I should. All things being equal, um, if you're looking at the comments now, you should be able to see the link to that article it's not published yet uh, it doesn't go out until monday but you know we're all friends together here uh, and if you would like to see it you can get first first stab at it um it's on the same subject and and one of the things that i i wanted to pick up in the article and i think one of the things that inspired me was um and i, I nick i'm, I'm going to throw this over to you um i i I'm in the privileged position. I've been doing this for sort of 30, 32 years, um, and I'm in the privileged position of seeing um, a lot of new products literally as they land. Um, I, Nick and I have been together when we've seen, you know, the first iteration of JCB's Hydra Dig or their high-vis dumpers and a multitude of other machines. I mean, we, we were in Malaga together a couple of years ago seeing the, the latest uh, Caterpillar products. And, and, you know, that's that's what we do for a living. But I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it as a result of, of that discussion with uh, with Alan and Carl Gustav on, on Wednesday. And I don't actually think that in my 32 years of doing this job, I've actually seen a new type of machine. 
And Nick, if, if you can point out one, I'd love to hear from you and, and it will prove everything that I, I, I've written completely wrong and baseless, which wouldn't be the first time. But everything, when you think about it, I mean, I, I hand on heart, I would say that the Hydrodig was, was one of the most innovative products that I've seen in quite some time. But when you scratch the surface, it is ultimately a wheeled excavator. And we've had those for decades. Um, the high-vis dumper from uh, from JCB, it, it looks markedly different, but it is just, just a dumper. We've seen electric mini excavators. Fantastic, but they are just mini excavators that haven't been powered by, by electricity. Even the mini excavator themselves, and as I say, I've been doing this for long enough, I, I, was, I was reporting on construction equipment when the first Japanese-built uh, mini excavators made landfall here in the UK. Um, and I think most people dismissed them as a novelty. And there were lots of jokes at the time about what are you going to dig with that, a window box and that kind of thing. Uh, well, lo and behold, they're selling in their thousands. There isn't a, a proper rental fleet worth its salt in the UK that doesn't have one or more mini excavators. So they're very much caught on. But even the mini excavator, which was, was greeted as either huge innovation or pointless novelty was just excavator meets honey i shrunk the kids it it didn't it didn't turn the industry on its head it, it just downsized something that we already had so my my take on all of this is is there scope is there scope for something completely new in the field of demolition and construction equipment the link to the article is, is down there, and I've not got it in front of me, so I'm going to do this completely from memory. But I, I had a chat, um, sadly, a guy that is no longer with us, um, a guy called Richard Comley uh, of Comley Demolition um, down in Hampshire. Richard was a, a, a lovely guy, and I'm not just saying that because he's no longer with us. He actually was a lovely guy. Um, and we, we were chatting one afternoon about this, that, and the other. And, and one of the things that he pointed out to me was the fact that um, demolition equipment and construction equipment borrows a lot from mother nature um, and when you think about it it really does you, you think about um as i've as i've put in the article you know if you show a, a photograph or show a high-rich excavator to a child they will either suggest oh look it's like a giraffe or more often they will say it's like a dinosaur and i can see their point um if you think about um a a shear a, a demolition shear it looks a lot like a parrot's beak all of that is true but then think about that because ultimately we, what we're talking about here is a compromise think about a parrot's beak a parrot's beak was designed to eat um seeds and nuts it wasn't designed to consume concrete and steel and yet that's that's what designers of shear shears expected to do and if you think about let's say a giraffe a giraffe I, I i have no idea how tall a giraffe is let's say it's 20 foot tall that's fine i mean it's it's cumbersome but it's 20 foot tall and that's that's fine because it's the the food that it eats is 18 19 20 feet off the ground i get that but what if their food was 80 feet off the ground or 100 feet off the ground would a, would mother nature have said actually what we need for that then is a giraffe but with a really really you know 10 times as long a neck probably not and yet when you think think about a high reach excavator so or think about an excavator the name excavator the clue is in the title it was designed originally to excavate to dig to dig below grade 
And yet here we are 30, 40, 50, 60 years later, and we've got excavators that aren't digging down. They're now that way, and they're 70 meters straight up. If we gave the excavator designers of the 1950s and the 1960s an indication of how they might ultimately be used for demolition of 20, 22, 24-storey buildings, do you think they'd have come up with the same design that they did? My, my personal opinion is that they probably wouldn't and that machines that we've got now are a compromise. I will throw this up on the, on the screen. You, you're dead right. As I, 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 it's it's good that you echoed my point about Wacker Noise. And as I say, they they are one of those companies that do really think outside the box and, and some of the stuff that they do. But you know, a, a dual view dumper, it's a clever dumper, but it's a dumper, um, and and so it goes on. And and all of that goes back to my point about Tesla um, and the door potentially being open. We've got a perfect storm. We've got electrification or hydrogenization which is a word i need to learn to say we've got a switch in in the use of fuel so we've you know that's replicating the, the situation with tesla we've also got a greater abundance of technology than we've ever had we've got advances in materials so we've got materials that are stronger and lighter than anything we've ever had to deal with before so the door is open for either an existing um, manufacturer to take a giant leap forward and, and possibly gain a bigger slice of the market or that door is open for an interloper and, and one of the points that came out came out in the uh, discussion on wednesday and it came out in the article that I, I wrote subsequently was the fact that we tend to to look at technology from a recipient's point of view you know if, if you're a machine operator you, you've got your displays in the cab and that kind of thing if you're uh, running the machines you know maybe you're using telematics to um, spot faults and you know maybe abuse of the machine and all that kind of thing but don't don't ever lose sight of the fact that that telematic information is going back up the line and it's going back up the line to the manufacturers and this is what i'm about to say is not a big brother cautionary tale on the contrary, we've now got a whole breed and a whole generation of equipment manufacturers that have more data, and I mean real data, than they've ever had before. Uh, I've always been, I'm a professional cynic, so maybe that, that's the reason why, but I've always been of the, the opinion that a lot of equipment is designed from an ivory tower perspective, that it's designed in a, a, a very nice air-conditioned office by people that have never had to schlep across muddy sites, have never had oil running down their arm while they're trying to change the oil, and and, and all the you know they've they've never grazed their knees on on jagged steps, and they've never had an excavator for five minutes that's then had the wing mirror knocked off because it's in a, a really stupid place. They've never experienced any of those things. So we've got this ivory tower thing that's gone. That's all gone. We, we've now got a situation where the designers, when they sit down to design a new machine or to improve an existing machine, have got real data from real sites where they can see exactly how a machine's being used, where it's being used, how many hours it's clocking up, how many hours it's idling, you know, rev patterns of the engine and, and all of that kind of thing. And all of that information 
don't get me wrong, it will take an awful lot of, of, of ploughing through. It will take a lot of understanding. And it, it, I, th- I think we're probably still a few years before we, we start to see that information really, really imp- impacting and, and driving and navigating the way that machines are are actually designed. But it is influencing it right now. And, and I think that's that can only be for the good. I, I used to work um, for both Leverton, the old Caterpillar dealer back in the day, and I, I did the PR for Caterpillar for a while. Uh, and one of the things that Caterpillar and, and other manufacturers, but I know this one from uh, personal experience, Caterpillar were very good at what they referred to as their field follow program. Um, so they would design a machine, they'd build a couple of dozen of them, and they would put them out to um, trusted customers to basically use and abuse for three, six, or even 12 months um, so that they could go along and check them and, and see what was good, what was bad, what was indifferent. And and before that machine finally made it to mass production, it had already clocked up sort of tens and, and possibly even hundreds of thousands of hours with real customers. I'm sure that will continue, and it probably should continue. But we've got a situation now, as I say, with with telematics. When a machine is designed now, it should already have all of that real time data built into it. You know, we we should know by now what works and what doesn't. We should know by now, and it's it's tiny little things, like an automatic stop on on machines. Um, particularly on some machines, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically here of perhaps a site dumper. A site dumper, so often, and you know, I, I, I spend some time on sites. I'm sure Nick will spend even more time on sites, but he does spend more time on sites. And the number of times you walk onto a site and there's a site dumper sat there, empty, there's not an operator within 100 yards of it, but the engine's ticking over. Even setting aside the fact that that's burning fuel you know that's a that's a crazy situation and it's an even crazier situation now that we're so conscious of the environmental impact of everything that we do and given the fact that fuel is our biggest cost so the very simple fact of somebody be it a, a thwaites or a whacker or a jcb saying we now know how our dumpers are used and how they are spending possibly 50% maybe even 80% of their time idling why don't we put an auto auto stop on there? So as soon as the, the engine is, is idle for a few minutes or a few moments or the seatbelt is removed, the machine goes off. One second. <laughs> I can never find the mute button enough, quick enough to do that. Uh, I do apologize. So as I say, all of that telematic information is now starting to impact the uh, the equipment that we're seeing now. And, and so much the better for it. Um, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I... That's a lie. I can remember the last time I saw a machine that was semi-launched and then fell off the planet. Um, I'm not going to name names, but uh, Nick, I'm sure you know what that is. Um, But yeah, uh, that should no longer be the case. By the time a machine makes it beyond concept, beyond prototype, by now, it should be fully functioning and fully formed based on on real-time data that's been gathered and as i said at the very beginning all of that opens up the door for somebody to make a giant leap forward or for somebody to to come along and steal the lunch of the existing equipment manufacturers not entirely sure what i'd make of an interloper coming in and just as as one final point i I asked the guys on wednesday night 
what they thought would be the next big development. And there was a lot of talk about, you know, the, the way that we fuel machines. Um, I know Peter specifically mentioned um, things like worker exoskeletons to allow people to lift stuff and, you know, give them added protection and added strength and that kind of thing for certain manual tasks, all of which I think is, is perfectly doable. Um, and, and, well, I mean, it exists now, so it is perfectly doable. We, we've proved that. Um, but I also asked who would be most likely to make the giant leap forward. Nobody named names. As I said, we've got, we've, we've got some real innovators. Um, I've already mentioned Wacker Nyson and I've mentioned Volvo. But I think we dismiss some of the Chinese manufacturers at our peril. Um, and when you look, I, I saw recently, I think it was KHL uh, published their top 20 global manufacturers. And as ever, Caterpillar is number one. Um, I think Kamatsu was number two, but I'm fairly sure at number three is XCMG. Um, XCMG is a name that we don't see particularly often over this side of, uh, of the pond. But if you go to Bauma and you go to Conexpo, you'd be astonished at just what a big um, and diverse company they are. They're absolutely huge. Um, Chinese-wise, um, although they've you know they've tended to concentrate in the past on their domestic market, but but China-wise, they they are the, they are a caterpillar. They are on that scale. Um, you know, they make everything from cement trucks through to cranes, excavators of every shape and hue. They they've been very very quick to uh, to get on the electric bandwagon as well. I'm not saying specifically XCMG, but you know, given the the level of money that is is floating around in in China at the moment, it wouldn't surprise me one tiny bit if um, one of the Chinese manufacturers were to come along and to turn the industry on its head. And I know it was a throwaway remark, but um, Nick put it in the comment on the uh, the show. On, I, I keep saying it, I'm fairly sure it was Wednesday, um, but I, I will post a note uh, or a link to that. But he made the note: What's to stop Tesla actually making the leap? They've they've already got better battery technology than pretty much anyone. Um, if Elon Musk were were to discover the fact that there's more billions to be had by using his battery technology to dig holes and demolish buildings, what's to stop him? Not necessarily. I'm not necessarily suggesting a Tesla construction equipment range, but would it really be beyond the wit of man for Tesla and Caterpillar, if they're as an American or Case or John Deere, to form some kind of joint venture to propel that? Who knows? Who knows? If that happens. Uh, if anyone from uh, Tesla or Caterpillar or both are watching right now and you decide that's a good idea, try and cut me in on the uh, the profits because, um, as I say, we're only sponsored by two companies at the moment, so uh, the coffers are fairly bare, and I'm sure that would make somebody a, a nice fat fortune, actually. Um, I think that's going, probably going to do us. Uh, we've been going for, what, three quarters of an hour. Uh, I will recap very quickly on some of the stuff that we did earlier. Um, so if you would like to get a copy of the book, um, The Japanese Way, as I said earlier, just send me uh, an email uh, to, let me think, where do I find my email address? 
my email address is there. Uh, if you'd like to send me an email uh, to that address, it's markanthony1965 at gmail.com, uh, and I will gladly send you a copy of that book free of charge. Uh, it's only a PDF version because all the uh, paper versions have sadly sold out. Um, probably should have put that one on Amazon now with uh, with the benefit of hindsight, but uh, we didn't. Um, we, we do have some other books over on, on Amazon, um, if you're that way inclined. Uh, funnily enough, just while we're on the subject of Amazon. You might think that a JCB digger and an iPad have very little in common. You'd be wrong. Check out why JCB is the apple of the digger world by Mark Anthony, exclusive to Amazon. As you can probably tell, this is a, a I mean, this is something that fascinates me quite a bit because it's something I've, I've touched on before. Um, that book, uh, Renaissance, why uh, JCB is the apple of the uh, digger world, it was. It, it is a, a fairly tongue-in-cheek title, but I'll, I'll. What have we got? Let's say I've got another ten minutes, and then the hour's up. So, I'll, I'll re I'll regale you with the tale. Um, so, I went to see the launch of the Hydra Dig. Nick Drew was there. Nick Johnson was there. All the the usual suspects from the uh, construction press were there. Um, and one of the things that, that struck me about the Hydra Dig when I first saw it was the fact that that. JCB had taken a proven concept, the wheeled excavator, and had made it sexy and aspirational and kind of cool. Um, and it struck me at the time that that is precisely what Apple does. Apple didn't design the MP3 player. Um, they didn't design the tablet computer. They didn't design the smartphone. Uh, they didn't design wireless headphones or smartwatches either. But what they did do was come along a few years later, take all of those products and make them much, much, much better. Made them sexy, made them cool. Um, I literally, I, and I, I, if I searched high and low, because I've moved house since, but I, I actually wrote in my notebook while I was watching the launch of the Hydra D, Apple. I actually wrote the words Apple as a reminder. And then wrote the article about the Hydra D, got on with my life, forgot all about it. So lo and behold, we're up there, up at JCB again, maybe 18 months later for the launch of their um, high-vis dumper. And as soon as I saw it, that Apple thing triggered in my head because we've got we've had a situation where we've had, if you go back far enough, we've had Thwaites and Benford and Barford and Uncle Tom Cobbley and all making dumpers and dumpers with increasingly poor um, health and safety records. Um, and and so on down the line. And, and along comes JCB, who up until that point had been in a, a dumper joint venture, um, but they then decided to branch off and do something of their own. And what they did was completely different, completely sexy, completely cool, and made dumpers aspirational. So I left that and and, and basically came away, and I, I decided to sit down and write the book uh, that I've just advertised there, the... Uh, Renaissance, why JCB is the apple of the digger world. So I wrote the book. Um, I got my son um, to design the front cover, which, uh, no, in actual fact, it's not the front cover. It's the back cover. There is a uh, there is an Apple logo. And if you know the Apple logo, there's the apple with the bite taken out of it. Well, he's basically taken that Apple logo and he's got a JCB machine taking that bite out of the apple. So he designed that and and he gave it to me and it was on my phone. So the final leg of writing that book was that I asked to sit down and speak to um, 
their chief innovation officer, Tim Bernhope. Um, Tim very kindly agreed. Um, smashing guy, very welcoming, um, and, and set aside the time for me to do that. So I went off up to JCB. Uh, I will bore you some other time with the fact that I had actually a car crash on the way up there, but that's a whole other story. But I got up there, and I, I told them that I was writing a book, but I hadn't told them that I was writing about. Uh, and as part of my visit there, they took me into their innovation center where they've got this huge like minority report screen. It's, it's probably 50, 60 feet long and, and maybe 20 feet high. And they have these, these huge displays. And, and Tim was talking me through um, the development of the HydroDig and of um, the HiViz dumper and, and the Teleskid and, and, and a bunch of other products as well. And he said at one point, it wasn't a, a formal presentation, so he wasn't off a script or anything like that. But he basically said the fact that, you know, JCB are, you know, they, they are very adept at looking at products. How could that be better? How could we make that? We, there is a famous um, quote about uh, Joe Bamford, never content, you know, never satisfied. There's always something we can make better. Uh, and that very much is the ethos of JCB. Uh, and he, Tim Bernhope specifically mentioned the fact that um they had borrowed that apple ethos and that was their plan you know we, we're going to look at every product that we make and that other people make and we're going to make it better at which point i pulled out my iphone and i said i can't believe you just said that because i the book i'm writing is called why jcb is the apple of the digger world and i showed him the logo at, at which point we both had a, a good giggle because we we'd obviously both picked up on exactly the same thing um that book it was written as a result of the Hydrodig, the Teleskid, and the uh, the Hivis dumper. So, as a result, it is what probably three, maybe even four years old. Um, but it is it's cheap as chips. I think it's about five quid. Um, and if you found, if you're into construction equipment, you might like to grab yourself a copy of that. Uh, just search for uh, why JCB is the apple of the digger world over on Amazon. Um, and yeah, we'd we'd love you, love for you to get a copy. Um, that probably does us fifty. Three minutes in. Um, I wasn't expecting to go this long, but uh, I'm glad I have, and I'm glad people were here to listen. I, I, I didn't know whether anyone was going to turn up. A um, couple of things for next week. Obviously, I'm back here on Monday, um, Monday morning, 10 a.m. for the Breakfast Show. Uh, I'll be here all week. Um, the I think it's the Friday show will probably be pre-recorded because myself and Nick and Peter Haddock will be up at JCB um, at long last. Um, uh, over the past 20, 30 years, I've been at JCB twice, sometimes three times a year to look at their latest products. I've not been there. Um, I've not been there since August last year. And even when I did go there, that was, you know, socially distanced and um, very much under wraps. And it was it was get in, do a job and get back out again. Whereas this one, we're actually getting some uh, some hands on time, uh, some, some Nick Drew stick time. Um, I tend to stand back and let Nick do the driving. And I... I was going to say I take the photographs. I don't even do that. My son, Fred, takes the photographs and shoots all the video. So I, I stand around and try not to look befuddled, um, which is my natural state. Um, so, yeah, as I say, the yeah, the show on Friday will probably be pre-recorded because at the time you're watching that, I will be traipsing around a quarry looking at JCB excavators, hopefully in the sunshine. And my fingers are crossed for that. 
but that will do us for today. As I say, really appreciate you turning up. Um, I I don't know when I'll be doing another one of these. Uh, to be put, uh, you know, cards absolutely on the table. I'm here today purely because my wife has decided to work on a Saturday. Um, she doesn't work every Saturday, so maybe I'll just do this every once in a while um, when I've got the house to myself. Uh, and maybe, just maybe, I may even do this over on Instagram where we've got our biggest audience. Um, we've we've got tens of thousands of followers here. We've got. 100,000 plus over there. So I probably should have done this over there. The only problem with doing it over there, obviously, is the fact that I can't bring in bits of video and, and clips and photographs and all that sort of stuff. So I've babbled for long enough. Um, what can I play you out with? I tell you what, I'll, if you were here earlier, you already, already know this. If you weren't here, um, at starting on Monday, we have a new sponsor of the Breakfast Show, and it is those fine folks um, who are illuminating the way, uh, a company called FOSS. Here's what they're up to. Right, everyone, get back to your Saturdays. Have a great weekend. Um, keep your fingers crossed for a West Ham win and European football. I'll be back on Monday morning. Till then, have a great time. Uh, have a great weekend. Stay safe. Look after yourself, your family, your friends and your colleagues. And I'll see you very soon. Thanks for watching.